Welcome to the Big Niang Theory. Let me ask you one question. This is my podcast. Joel is a card shark. Danny gets swindled. Fashion, I just like stuff that looks good. Greatness just breeds greatness, and we all fit right in. Welcome back, everybody, to the Big Niang Theory. I'm George Niang with Lauren Rosen. And today we had um, a very interesting guest. You know, I thought he did a good job of articulating his thoughts probably the best out of anyone that we've had and uh you really get some good in-depth conversation sometimes which is rare with matisse because if he feels like it's not worth his time then he'll just keep it very surface level but i'm happy that he got in depth about his experiences you know what he likes to do and uh, i actually this is one of my favorite ones he's a good combination of thoughtful and weird and we got both yes yeah, yeah. it was nice so without further ado Here's Matisse. Welcome back, everybody, to The Big Niang Theory. I am George Niang with my co-host, Lauren Rosen. And today, we have a magnificent guest with Immaculate Vibes, uh, Matisse Thibault. Matisse, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, guys. Matisse has done a lot of media to his credit. He does a great job with it. But he's been asked the same things a lot of times by me, myself included. Um, we've heard recycled material from Matisse a lot. Boring. So we were trying not to do that today, which leads us to another thing that Matisse said prior to our recording. He said, quote, I don't really care about beds. Tell us more about that, Matisse. I watched a YouTube video. I've watched a lot of YouTube videos, spent a lot of time on YouTube. But I watched a YouTube video about some kid talking about a Japanese mattress, and I believe it's called a Shiki Bhutan. And upon leaving the Olympics and sleeping on a mattress, I was like... Cardboard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the bed frame's made out of cardboard. But the mattress itself was like, imagine top ramen, but like plastic and thicker. So like, oh. it was like four inches of like top ramen-y plastic mattress. So I was just like this brick that you slept on. And it was, everyone was complaining. Everyone hated it. I loved it. Like, I slept great, like, never had any issues. And so, like, getting back to the States, like, to my bed in Philly and having watched this YouTube video, I came to the conclusion that, like, the way we idealize beds is just not real. Like, we, we, were, we were misguided. So I think what you're trying to say is, like, if you had the bare, if you have the bare minimum, then, like, you, you don't, you could never complain once you have, like, Yes, that's a valid. You get, you get what I'm saying? I get what you're saying. That's valid, but no, it's more more so coming from. And this is where like my thoughts get a little wild. But like, we're human beings, yeah. Yeah. Like, how long have comfy mattresses been around? Like comfy ones, I would probably like say plush mattresses. Hmm. 30, 40 years. years? Like, 30, 40 years. George. <laughs> In the, you think in the 70s, people didn't have, like, regular mattresses? Comfy mattresses? Like, <laughs> I yes. see what you say. Well, in, like, four I think years no, just in the last like 30 years, kings they've and had... queens. I'm thinking about, like, I watch a lot of historical fiction, British aristocracy vibes. And Vomit. all of them, all of them had nice mattresses, according to the documentaries okay, that I Okay, fine. So, so for a thousand years, then. Okay, that's <laughs> true. Like, let's say like 100 or 200 years. I would go Maybe. to... Kings and queens. She's taking it back to, like, London and... <laughs> George, kings, queens, and London all still exist today. Yo, yo, edit this part out. <laughs> no. Yeah, so I say that, like, we weren't made to sleep on these plush, comfy, cushy things. Like, our bodies are not made for that. And 
I thrived in a different setting and I was like, well, maybe this is what it's supposed to be. That's kind of wild when you think about it, like being an Olympic athlete, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, not all of us get to say that, right? Getting to the Olympics, which you got to do, so credit to you. And winning a medal, but also while sleeping on like, you know, because like we have people around (laughs) here. But in fairness, everybody at those Olympics won medals sleeping on those mattresses, right? Well, that's not true because everybody didn't win a medal there. Well, also Team USA, the men's basketball team did not stay. Okay, fine. So most of the people, though, that won medals did win them coming off of the ramen mattresses yeah yeah that's in it proves that you can yeah like and then another thing i want to ask you about is like i'm sure you've talked about it but being an olympian and actually like when did it hit to be like wow like the olympics like there's a people talk about the one percent of the one percent like you are in a small portion i would love to see the numbers of how many like olympic basketball players have won a medal and because it's every four years like it's not like the nba where there's a turnover of 60 guys every year and the fact that you got to do like when did it set in you're like damn like i'm achieving something that like very few people ever get to achieve honestly i'd say i would say it was when we got into the village but we got in at like the olympic village that is we got in at like three in the morning and it was miserable we'd flown for 15 hours it was terrible so like we all just went to bed but when i woke up the next morning went out on this little balcony and looked out at this miniature city that had been built for all of the athletes in all the countries, I was, like, shocked. Just to see, like, the hustle and bustle of the most elite athletes on the planet. And I was, like, I had to stand there and have this moment of, like, I'm also one of them. Yeah. It was pretty amazing. That's sick. That's such a cool moment. The most emotion I've ever seen Matisse show on the court was with the Australian team. And I'm curious why you were able to tap into sort of like a different side of, of your intensity during that experience. Joe Ingles brings that out of it. No, but Matisse like roared. There was one game where he, and I was, I was watching all these games at like four in the morning in Philly. And Matisse unleashed, like, I don't know what. And I remember being like, is he good? Like, what is going on over there? Hey, bro, you all right? <laughs> but in hindsight, because you do a good job of, like, I think you do a good job of emotional regulation. And I think that's a really valuable thing to have as an athlete. But but what was different over there? And could you remember, like, that moment? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. It was at halftime. It was a bronze medal game. Mm-hmm. And I think I'd gotten, like, a, a dunk or something to, like, beat the buzzer. Mm-hmm. And, like, give us, like, just, like, boost our lead a little bit more. I don't know. I literally don't know it. what took over me. I was like, just screaming. Like, <laughs> yeah. But no, the emotions of the Olympics, because, and George, you said it earlier, like, it's every four years. And you're also not playing for, like, not to say the Sixers are an arbitrary team, but it's like, I didn't grow up in Philly. Like, right. I love this team, and like, I'm like deeply devoted to it's like winning. Job. But it's, my, it's, it's, it's more so my job. Like, this, the Olympics is a choice that everyone makes to go represent a country. Maybe like it's something bigger than yourself. It's so yeah. much bigger than you. And then, like, to add to that, you're, you said Joe Ingles. Joe and Patty have been to, what, like, four Olympics? Oh like, they've been, they'd been trying to win a medal for 12 years. And for me to come in and, like, take on that history yeah. of, like, what this team's been striving for, it was just, like, it was overwhelming. Like, just an abundance of emotion that just, like, yeah. I'm going to break my own rule here because I said you didn't have to talk about something you talked about before, but I don't think you've talked to Philly people about this before. Why was being on that team so important to you? Why was that a choice that was so meaningful? I mean, being able to... I mean, wow, that's, that's actually a tough one. Let me think. Take your time. 
being able to represent a country and a country that even though it was I didn't spend a majority of my life there it was like a good chunk of my childhood and has been a part of my identity since then and it's always been like one of those fun facts when like you meet a new class and it's like your two truths and a lie or like your <laughs> cool like thing is like oh yeah I'm Australian and to actually have like to have had that my whole life and then have a chance to then take that and make it such a meaningful thing and have it represent so much more than just like a fun fact but actually be like a true part of me and then like to have that country also just support me in such an amazing way where I just like kind of popped on the scene for them and they embraced me with open arms it was a really really special experience but I think it's cool that he talked about like knowing the history of like Patty and Joe because me being a teammate of Joe an old teammate of Joe's I realized how much the Olympics means to him, how much Australia means to him, how much the lingo, like everything Joe Ingles is Australian. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like the way he talks, the, you know what I mean? Like the way he carries himself. He, his kids like eat Vegemite. Like, oh, I you still, know what I mean? I like, and the fact that Matisse like had known like what had gone into it and how much it meant to those other guys. I can understand why that dunk, like that emotion like came out because it was like, not only am I doing this for myself and like the country that I is, has been a part of my life, but I'm doing it for the other people that the country is everything for them, and I wanted them to succeed, you know, as bad as as they want to, and uh, that's just like I just think the whole Olympic thing is like so cool, which is I'm going to talk about myself here, even though we're you're the guest, is why I want to be a part of the Senegalese national team and wow. try to go to the Olympics because like. What's better than like a story? I mean, this is a little narcissistic, but like to tell your kids, I was an Olympian. You know yeah. what I mean? Like that. There, I think there's challenges and goals that you know you try to check off, and I think being an Olympian is definitely one of them. But you you use those small things to try to move, like be an Olympian, win a medal in the Olympics, and I'm sure the next thing for you is win a silver or win a gold or you know beat the United States again. Like mm -hmm. you you achieve so many things in like your first experience there. It's like. Wow, you know what I mean? Like, does it get much better than that? Because if you go back and you guys don't medal, it's like, damn, I got to wait a whole four years. Yeah, to it, it was one, one of the things Patty and Joe said when we were doing the medal ceremony was like, don't think it's that easy that you can just show up and win a medal. Like, they kept, like, joking with me, like, it, it, this shit doesn't just happen like this. Yeah, they're, like, almost mad, but, like, obviously not actually mad, but it was a fun little joke. We were out and about in the city that we're in, and... I saw. I see you walking around. Sometimes when I'm out to eat in Philly, Matisse would just be cruising by, or I'll see Matisse riding his bike. And I was joking with you earlier. You just seem like a guy that's just content with having adventures on your own. Like, where the heck does that come from? Because honestly, I spend five hours alone, and I'm like, where are people? <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm a bit of a. It's like a newfound, like trait I've discovered about myself is like the loner aspect like I think I'm a little bit more introverted than I realize and I mean I, I feel like so many people after the pandemic was like either you're of the school of thought is like it was miserable I needed yeah. people or they're like oh my god I love the alone time like it just was so good to be away from people and like I kind of fell into the ladder of like just realizing how content I am with myself by myself like to my own means of just imagination and you are just having a blast. Like you are like, like there are days where you could not see another person and you'd be like, I had a fun, solid day today. I, 
while I was in COVID protocol, yeah. I went an entire day without speaking. <laughs> you know what's actually crazy is I could never do that because I would no, just... No, you couldn't. I would, you know what I mean? I would just blurt out something or I'm the king of just like FaceTiming or just randomly calling someone. Like I'm that person where my friends are like, George is calling, like pick up the phone, like what do you want? Like I know you don't want anything, it's nothing important, but a day without speaking? During COVID, I started talking to myself. Mm. I can believe that. Like I'd like clean up the kitchen and I'd be like, "Nice, go off." Like I just I evaluate. She was my work. Hype, hype <laughs> <her cell phone. laughs> I have to. Someone's got to give me oh the God. affirmation. Yikes! Bruising. It seemed like you were gonna make fun of me, and I cut you off. No, no, no. I w- I would never do such a thing. But you know, the fact that you are your own hype woman, like you did the dishes, you were like, "Yeah, them dishes look clean." <laughs> like, come on. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Matisse doesn't speak for a day, but you're hyping yourself up. That's. <laughs> Well, I don't need to be in contact with people constantly. I'm like somewhere in between you guys. Like I couldn't go a day without speaking, but I also don't always need to be talking to someone. So if I can talk to myself, that works. That is true. Less about me, more about something that George just mentioned to me that Matisse sometimes rides his bike across the bridge to practice. Tell us about that. Yeah, I got a bike. (laughs) (laughs) I bought, I, yeah, one day sitting, I think you might've been in the hot tub when I was trying to buy. Yeah, on the phone. Yes. Yes. I called every... (laughs) called every bike shop in philly because one day i just was like i need a bicycle so they don't really make bikes for our size i I realized this it's hard to come by and well the bikes you're looking for like i was suggesting like mongoose and matisse was like looking at me like shut up (laughs) this idiot um (laughs) no i wanted like a like a fixed speed like single gear yeah so i i like looked all over philly got a bike and now it's like my best friend and i just ride it whenever wherever now, here's the thing is, the problem with me is, like, I always need to be entertained. Like, that's that's a problem with, like, running for a long time or, like, biking. Like, so what are your, like, thoughts when you're biking, like, over a bridge? Because I'm driving and I'm, like, looking over at the Delaware River and I'm like, man, like, that's, like, that's a long way down. Like, I couldn't imagine riding my bike, one, like, exerting energy up, like, a little bit of an incline. Mm-hmm. And then, like, being closer to the water, like, with only a railing in between. And then you have these wild Pennsylvania, New Jersey drivers just flying by you. It's, it was terrifying the first time. Like, because, yeah, first of all, I think the bridge is, like, a mile or something. Or, like, maybe a little yeah. over a mile long. So half of that is all uphill. And you're, like, like you said, the railing that's on the side, like, you're up on a bike. So, like, we're tall people to begin with, yeah. but then, like, seated up on a bike, this railing came up to, like, my waist. So, it's like, if I really took a wrong turn, I'd just tip up. So, like, there wasn't much thinking. I would, was you really do a, would you do a cannonball? <laughs> <laughs> I was really locked in. Like, from when, yeah, my time on the bridge is not, like, it's, there's less time enjoying the process right, as there's right. just, like, we're not going to fall off. Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't think I could do that. I'm not coordinate. Do you think you could ride a bike over there? Yeah. Can you ride a bike, Lauren? Yeah, Lauren. Rude and yes. I think you guys really underestimate my athleticism because of my size, and I don't appreciate that. Oh. <laughs> well, now we're going to dive into Matisse's thoughts, but we were talking before this, and Matisse had a comment that I was... He did. He said, pets don't make sense. <laughs> Can you elaborate? on This is a segment right here, Matisse's yeah. thoughts. I just don't... Everyone... All right. So I've had this conversation a bunch of times 
constantly ridiculed about my opinion on it. Yeah. Everyone always says it's because I didn't grow up with animals. I didn't have a dog growing up or anything. Right. But I say all that to say that it just doesn't, like logically speaking, there's no reason that we should have pet dogs and cats and fishes and hamsters. Like, they don't do anything. And we just breed these things into existence so that they can serve us for entertainment. Or emotional connection. Because some people, like, here's the thing is, some people cannot emotionally connect with other humans as well as they can with dogs like for me it'd be great it's great because like the dog can't ever speak back so i'm constantly in control of you wouldn't have to call people all day you could just talk to yeah i could uh, and like he's constantly listening like he doesn't ever chime in and ruin what i'm trying to say because there's a lot of humans that i talk to that talk as much as i do and you know they chime in and they ruin what i'm trying to say they ruin the flow yeah i just like there, I I will say that there are some instances where it could be understandable, where like emotional care dogs, which has gotten to a space where it's like people just say it's an emotional care dog yeah, so they can no get it real. into like the airports. There's no real curriculum. That's that. like, <laughs> Yeah, but like I understand that there is a real need in that aspect. But like half these animals would have never existed if it wasn't for us needing like entertainment. And think about the animal though, like. Now that I have to be your entertainment, that's my life. Yeah, like they were always saying, existence. like I'm just a basketball player and nothing. I can't do anything else besides <laughs> that. Like I'm just here for pure entertainment of yeah. fans. And we breed these things to provide that. For I kind of, you know, he kind of like entertainment and company. Like no, we talked we about doing? this before. I agree with him, but I'm also allergic to cats and dogs, so it's easier for me to be like, yeah, totally. I will you know say what I mean? like, I'm also allergic, but I think that that totally clouds it. Like it's not fun to interact with something that's making you sick. Unless you're a freak. It's not fun interacting with something like you. Here's another thing. This question is like total pivot. Um, Matisse, what do you make of George Niang? What? What do you think of, of George? Just overall outtake of George. What's the thought process? As a human or a basketball player? Both. Let's do both. Oh, loaded question. Loaded well, let's start question. with basketball because you were exposed to that first. Okay. Basketball's been interesting. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> My oh, boy. <laughs> One of my favorite quotes was when, was it you who asked Joel this? Yeah. And Joe, did, you, did you read what Joe said? Or he, he said I sucked. How he Joel said, I, said he thought I sucked? Yes. Here, I'll pull up the quote. I'll talk about it. Well, I, I wouldn't say that my view was this extreme because I've only been in the NBA for, and this is my third season, so I, I don't have a good idea of anyone outside of my own team. Did you find it yet? I did. Do you want me to read it? Yeah. November 6th, Joel Embiid on George Niang. I used to think he sucked, honestly. But obviously the way he's playing now, he's doing way more than shooting threes. I'm impressed that he's a competitor. I used to think he sucked, but he brings so much joy to all of us on and off the court. I'm just glad we have him. Like, he's saying some really nice stuff in there. No, 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 no. That was the biggest backhanded compliment (laughs) I've ever gotten. But anyway, continue. You you were going to say you thought I sucked too? No, no, but anyways, your role... He just wanted me to read the quote when someone else said it. Your role with your last team, you weren't able to show, like, I think the facets of your game that we're seeing now. Right. So yeah. it wasn't, it's, it's not like, in, if you're, in, as an NBA player, you kind of know that about certain guys. Like, you, you understand the roles and how it may or may not be limiting them. So you know that some guys have more potential than what, what they're showing. And here, actually, make this about me a little bit to take a, <laughs> a play from your book. Yeah. When I went to the Olympics, everyone was talking about, how I was playing so much better. And they're like, 
well, what changed, what blah, blah, blah. And nothing changed. I went from a season and then three weeks was playing in the, like getting ready for the Olympics. Right. But I was shooting better. Everything I was doing was at a higher level. Yeah. And mostly it was because my role had changed. And right. I think for you, I think that's like a huge, obviously you had a summer to put in work and you obviously yeah, right. got better, no, but 100%. you've had a chance to step into a new role or more is needed of you. And it's like shown immensely. So like me, in my opinion of George Yang as a basketball player, is like the, the player who I knew as like a scout on a piece of paper to the player I've played with are two, com- two completely different guys. And George for- is smiling so big right now. <laughs> yeah. To get an honest compliment from Matisse, because Matisse doesn't just get, if he's going to tell you how he really feels about it. But I think, well, and we'll let him carry on so he can give me more compliments. But um, I honestly, I take pride in understanding like who I am and like what I bring to the table and mm-hmm. not getting out of my box because I feel like people that try to do too much, like you honestly hurt yourself by right. trying to do more. So when people are like, well, why don't you try and do more or this and that? It's like, because I understand the value of winning and what how I can contribute to winning. And if me trying to do more takes away from someone else who's trying to do their role, then I'm honestly hurting the team. So coming here was like the perfect thing for me because it allowed me to grow as a basketball player. And like you talked about with the, the Olympics is like, I remember... Uh, Joe told me one time, he, he was like, you know, I was like, Matisse had like this turnover, like what the heck? And I was like, what was he thinking? He was like, yeah, I honestly told him, I was like, bro, this isn't Philadelphia. Like you can dribble the ball. The court. <laughs> yeah, he told me that yeah, so many times. Yeah. <laughs> and I just thought that was funny because everybody knows their role. Like, you know, and it's tough to find self-aware, like people in this world. And I think that should be almost as big of a, a skill as like shooting because like, if you're not self-aware and don't know yourself, you could be out there thinking you're doing the right thing, and then the 10 other guys on your team are like, this guy is killing us. But you're thinking, like, I'm doing the right... So, like, valuing your role and loving your role and being a star in your role, which I'll give you credit, Matisse, is, like, playing defense is not fun. And I'll be the first one to tell you that. But Matisse, like, enjoys it. Like, he'll take the... Oh, that guy's scoring? Oh, okay, I'll guard him. Oh, that guy's hot? Okay, I'll guard him. It's like... I wouldn't want any part of that. I'm usually out there trying to find the guy that's the... You're trying to guard the me of the other yeah, team. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the the guy that's the least involved. <laughs> yeah. I want to guard the guy that's standing in the corner the whole time. That's hilarious. While we're disparaging Matisse, I'll, g- I'll give you a compliment <clears throat> as well. I think what you said about Joe encouraging you to dribble with Australia is interesting because to your credit, when you're with the Sixers, you know what your role is right like what george said you're not trying to do too much when you're out there with joel and tobias and seth and like creating for yourself like that's not what you do um and i think that that's part of why you have been successful though because like what you're good at you're great at and what you're less inclined towards you don't force but i do think it's worth noting what george said at some point your role with this team with your next team with whatever like it it is going to change and you're going to have had that experience in australia or with australia Mm. right yeah where like it's not going to be the first time, right, that you actually have to dribble the ball. So. Yeah, hmm. it's pretty cool. What? Yeah. Winning the medal or dribbling the ball? A little bit of both. That's, awesome. bit of both. That's beautiful. Wait, but I feel like there's the second half of that question. What do you mean? Oh. George Yang as a human. Oh, okay. As a human being. I like George. <laughs> <laughs> I like George because I've found, like we were saying with the, the quietness thing, how I don't need to speak, I've found that it's with George being comfortable being a vocal person in the locker room like a vocal leader and just like a 
charismatic dude, it allows me to be myself. When there isn't that person who can fill the silence and like be the guy who brings everyone together, everyone else kind of feels like, oh, I need to do a little bit here, do a little bit there. And you're kind of, you're kind of forced outside of your comfort zone and everyone feels that it's not authentic. And so to have you an authentically an authentic version of you that is that person who can bring everyone together right, and right, be that right. voice yeah, yeah. makes me so much comfortable just being myself and being quiet and just like a little bit of a wallflower, yeah. I guess. And not and not having to like say something because it's like, well, the team needs to be better. It's like I don't yeah. have to say anything, something because it's already been like addressed. Yeah, Jordan and it put it. it puts a little bit of pressure on you, honestly. Which I mean. Whether or not you like it, it's just is well, what I it have is. energy <laughs> all day, but it, every it, day. It's it's such a necessary part of like everyone talks about like chemistry or like having a good locker room. That's a huge part of it. Is people who know their role is to bring it all full circle. Right. Like and oh. you know your role and you feel it great and it allows me to do mine even better. I'm gonna bring it extra full circle. Oh. That roar that we talked about with you, the bronze medal game, the way that you emoted is like George in like the second quarter of a regular season game in November. <laughs> yeah, that's like, a very common. You, <laughs> that's so true. That's but so sometimes true. you just have to like let it out. And like, I feel like so many times like people have asked me, like I still haven't, I've done a terrible job of knowing the media people that cover us, like their names and like they'll ask. I'm like, why did you, why did you scream? Like it's the regular season, there's 82 games. And I'm like, cause like I wanted to, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause it's just like, he, Matisse said, it's like something comes over you and, I, I've said it before, like when you asked me that question about Seth, it's like I've gotten to a point in my life where I am so happy for other people's successes because everything in my life has fallen into place. And I wasn't always like that, but everything in my life has fallen into place, Where it, whether it's like I've achieved my dream of playing in the NBA, you know what I mean? I'm well taken care of financially, like I wake up and I do what I love. Why not be happy for someone else that's trying to find that or do the same thing? And so like when I scream when Joel like dunks on someone or Tobias has an and one, it's like I understand the pressure that goes on for other guys. So to see them succeed is like, like you talked about in the in the kitchen. It's like, hell yeah. Like you just, <laughs> yeah. you just killed that. Like Thank you. And, well, I talk about it a lot. Like I don't think that people, especially in our line of work, when we have like cool jobs and we get to do cool stuff. Yeah. I get on Matisse about this a lot. I don't think that people celebrate their successes as much as they should. Just because something doesn't feel like a big deal to you in the grand scheme of the world. Like the right. stuff that's happening is cool and awesome and hard earned. No, for um, sure. And so I do think you guys are sort of on opposite ends of the spectrum there. Like you're really good at celebrating little successes. And here's the other thing I was gonna say, it makes a difference. It moves the needle on the court. I remember um, in Detroit, right before everybody went out with COVID protocols. Okay. You guys, it was it was like way too close the entire game. And you said after the game that you felt that whichever team brought the most energy in the fourth quarter was right, going right. to win. Yeah. And that was the first time I had seen you take a regular season game and just like blow it up with energy. And it, oh, yeah. and it worked. And now I've seen you do it a bunch of times. And that's a real thing. It's not just you like keeping the vibes high. It makes a difference. Yeah, I was running my mouth a little bit. <laughs> you I was really talking about this, <laughs> But you see how it like transitions. Someone played a, a clip the other day of when we had like two steals in a row. Tyrese had a layup, and then you had like a steal and dunked it. And like Joel during the game is like very mellow mannered. You know what I mean? Like great job, Joel. He'd be like saving yeah, his energy. Like, yes, like yeah. And you dunked it, and all I saw was like him chasing you up the court, like <laughs> yeah. he's flexing and yelling, screaming and in my like, face. Yeah, and I was like. What the heck? Who is that? <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm and, like, I have no expression. Yeah. And those are the moments where, like, as a team are huge because professional sports is, like, 
it's very individualized, which is sad because it's you get paid. Not everybody gets paid the same, and you get paid on your individual accolades for the most part. And sometimes, you know, if you're a winner, so those moments where you can see people like being genuinely happy for other people, that's when you know, like, you like look next to you and you're like, we have the same common goal in mind, and that's to win, and we're connected. And I've been on teams where it's so hard to find that, but I've also been on teams where it's like you find that and like. You know, you you know if someone drives by me, that person has my back, and I have to work even harder because I gotta have their back. You know, it's just a revolving, a revolving circle of having each other's back, and those are the moments where, in your head, you're like, "All right, we're together. We're we're in sync. We're in one." And and I feel like those teams are the ones that, you know, either overachieve or are the most successful. You bring up Joel, and we talked about this at the very beginning with the I used to think George sucked, honestly comment. Can we not bring that up ever again? Can you delete that tweet now? Joel's right love, now. George, Joel's love is kind of hard to earn, but once yeah. you earn it, you know it means more because he's he's not fake with people. Like, it, you earn his, right. his love. But I think someone that never really had to learn his earn his love is Matisse. Joel has kind of always adored Matisse. But it's not something that either of you really talk about that often. He's a tryhard. That's right. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, give us a little look inside your relationship with Joel. Because I don't think you guys talk a ton, but you just clearly really enjoy each other. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think part of it is what George was saying earlier. is like I take pride in doing the stuff that other people don't necessarily want to do. So it takes a lot of pressure off of guys, like especially a Joel who like so much is demanded of him to have someone who you can trust like who is going to take as much pride in like scoring points on offense and like shutting down a player on defense is like I, I feel like that naturally flows into some sort of bond like a good connection and yeah I mean I I'm not trying to do anything special it's just like my natural disposition towards the game like that's yeah. just how I see things and I think it helps I mean all this stuff comes full circle and it's like making a team dynamic that works yeah, I feel like Matisse isn't going to try to be over the top to impress anybody. And I think neither is Joel. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Joel's not going to do too much, and Matisse isn't going to do too And I think Joel, like, his sense is like, I can appreciate that. Like, you, I don't want to say he sees a little bit of himself in you, but how you, like, handle yourself and... and real, recognize real. <laughs> oh, God. Stop. Yeah, gangster. I do think Joel's favorite... Uh, possession in any game is when Matisse gets like a poke out and a steal takes it down for a dunk because like Joel gets to take two possessions in a row off to just like breathe and he always watches it and he like just sort of nods in approval and then you guys come back the other end that's one of my favorite things I I, it's like when the um you know how people say like at weddings you're supposed to watch the groom's reaction when the when the bride comes down the aisle I like to like watch you've heard this before right like Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the groom is sometimes crying. And yeah, sometimes I, they're crying like, or smiling or whatever. I'm like soft. <laughs> George. I'm kidding. But so I take that, like, I like, just because I've watched you guys so much and I, I need to do things to stay super interested, I like to watch you guys react to each other. So, like, when I see Matisse poke it out, like, I know what's going to happen. So I, I watch the other side and, like, see how people are going to react to what's happening. And it's helped. No, but it's helped me. That's how I can make the observation that I just made. And it makes the game more nice. interesting, too, to no. see how you guys react to one another. No, 100%. I think you're spot on to that. Matisse, how do you keep yourself entertained while out on the court? While out on the court? Mm-hmm. I have crazy thoughts. Tell us. Do you want to know what I almost did last game that I didn't because, like... Oh, wow. Yeah. 
so something happened and like people went flying into the baseline i think andre like went for a loose ball or something dove into the crowd okay cameras and phones went flying and like a phone slid towards me and i like walked over and picked it up off the court and was like if the game wasn't so close and if like i had been like done more i think i would have like picked it up and taken a selfie but because like it was like somewhat tense times you were I in the game the when this happened yeah i was in the game i was on the court and i walked over and picked up the phone literally like clicked it to see the oh. home screen and then handed it back but i was like looking i was like should i take the no no, no. and i just handed it to the to a person in the crowd next contract matisse thylo <laughs> definitely taking a picture <laughs> oh my god that's actually a crazy that no, would have been wild. crazy it's more like mike scott beloved sixer who fell into the stands and landed on someone and grabbed their drink and took a sip of it and then ran back out on the court. He fully took a swig of this woman's beast. beast. <laughs> Legend. And then went back out on the court and kept playing. Hey. Oh my God. <laughs> that's funny. All right. Last thing though. We have uh, a segment um, on our podcast that oh. is called like Dear Younger Me. So like Dear Younger Matisse, if you could give yourself some advice uh, or the younger you some advice or people that look up to you what would it be about your journey and where you've been and or what you'd want to do better or just any type of advice what what would that be um can i say something really quick before that yeah for sure the mic smells like good like in like I don't know. I really enjoy the smell of this mic. I, I was really distracted as you were talking because I got like a, mic? I got a whiff of it. I was like, "You can take it with you if you want." Could I? Can to I your take ramen the... bed. Cuddle <laughs> <laughs> with Sorry, the mic. I, I, Yo, Lauren, that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Lauren Rosen, everyone. Um, so wait, what was the question? Oh, my advice to my younger self. Interesting. I don't. I can't think of a question right off the bat, but what that question kind of reminds me of is what I've seen a bunch of lately is about Virgil Abloh, Abloh, how do you pronounce that saying? Abloh. Abloh, Virgil Abloh. His quote of like, everything I do is for my 17-year-old self. Like, and I thought that was like a really cool concept of, like, think about us, like 17-year-old you Mm. imagining like the success you're having and like what you're doing. Like, even I think about myself, like an Olympic... The stuff that I've done to this point in my life, my teenage self would idolize. Like, I literally, I, I used to wait. The Seattle Pro-Am that Jamal Crawford used to do, I waited for three hours before the first game, and there was three games that day, just so I could see Kevin Durant and Blake Griffin play. And now it's like, these are guys who I play against, and these are guys' shots that I block. <laughs> these are, these are, I've they, messed these guys up. Like, these people know who I am now, and they, like, they yeah. respect me and like my craft and like th- th- that's just such a crazy concept like I, I like so I don't know what, what would I tell my younger self like my younger self had no idea that I would be in this position my younger self never even actually dreamed of going to the Olympics because he didn't think it was a possibility he right. he didn't really think that the NBA would work out because me and my best friends my best friends are five five and we like our hoop dreams are like each other's hoop dreams. So like once we realized that they weren't going to make it, we just assumed like, okay, the squad's not going to the NBA. And like, so I don't know. It's like you plant a seed and then like, I, I, I don't know what I'd tell me on yourself. You know, that's, that's funny. And I feel like I have a couple comments about that is, is I think about your journey and everybody has their own journey. And the one thing that 
comes together about successful people is like one common thing. It's one common denominator. It's just like the grit. You know what I mean? Like every successful person has grit. And yeah, some people's journey was a little easier than others, but there always comes that moment where like, I didn't know I was going to be here, but I just kept my head down and continue to work hard. And you know what I mean? It's like you took life one step at a time. Like, yeah, yeah you know what I mean? You, you went to Washington, you know what I mean? You, Nobody got, knew who I was. <laughs> yeah, nobody knew you were. Got got a little better every year. A coach was like, "Hey, maybe you should work on this," or maybe, you and you like fully indulged yourself into that. Like you, you gave yourself up to be better and more vulnerable, and try to you know work through your mistakes. Where most people in this world, as you forget, is like things get hard, and people are like, "Ah, that's uncomfortable. I don't want to do mm-hmm. that." And that's one thing that people don't realize about successful people is like they're willing to put themselves out there and and be uncomfortable and constantly be uncomfortable and have that grit to fight through. And then once the breakthrough comes, it's like, damn, like I got better. But then it's like, all right, what's the next challenge? Like for you, it was like, yeah, you you played in the NBA, but then you're like, all right, now the next challenge is the Olympics. And now like, what's the next challenge after that? And that's what makes successful people successful is like the grit. So if I could give advice to the younger self of you is like, just never never lose that edge and continue to be yourself because I think what makes you so cool and great at the same time is that you're Matisse 100% of the time and if people don't like that you're like cool you know what I mean like because I'm gonna like nothing is gonna stop me from being me and I think that's what makes you who you are and that's what makes you successful can you drop the mic please that was incredible (laughs) you said something interesting because i'm at the point now where like kids in high school or college or starting their careers are reaching out to me i guess not kids some of those people are adults at my sorry to cut you off at my photo walk that i did for red bull in philadelphia yeah lauren was there and people were there for my photo walk asking lauren for photos like can I get a picture with you? Uh, I was pissed. This is about me. This is all supposed to be me. At an away game last night, that were coming up to me. Like, Can I take a picture? That was super weird. Yeah. But something that I tell people that are like actually seriously looking for advice is like, in these fields, I think this probably applies to you guys too. But you can tell me if it doesn't. A lot of people want to do what I do. A lot of people want to do what you do. Mm-hmm. And obviously, both take a lot of talent and and luck and determination. But something I tell people is the longer that you persist, Mm -hmm. there are people that are giving up during that time, making way for you. More and more people are going to say, I guess it's not for me. The adversity is going to be unappealing and you're going to veer and like choose a new path. And like the longer you stick on your path, other people are going to fall off. They're going to quit and you're not if you really want something. Right. Not 100%. And then that's less competition. Exactly. And you don't want to be that person that quits and gives another person less competition. I'm also going to press Matisse now that we're in like the late hours of this show. Yeah. Um, you gave advice to your former self, I feel, more in terms of like basketball than in terms of personal growth. And I know that that's something that you pride yourself on as well. What advice would you give maybe like rookie Matisse? Um, I mean, the things that you're saying about me right now, George, are things that were like learned like it's more so like a skill than it was just innately who I am. Right. Like I had to learn to just be cool with being me right. and not trying to be more than that or less than that. And so I think from now to like my rookie year, that's probably been the biggest difference. And yeah, I'll just tell that version of myself is like who you are is okay. Like who you are is all you're supposed to be. And that 
translates from just being a person into like being a basketball player. And yeah, for whatever reason, yeah, people like me, they watch my videos, like what, whatever. But it's just like all I'm doing is all what I know to do and be. Yeah. And that's just Matisse. Like I've played this character for 24 years now, and <laughs> like I've gotten like a pretty good idea of like what I want it to look like, right. and I'm just comfortable with that now. I think that was well said. I, the, the the character for I've played this character for twenty four years. I'm gonna steal that one. I rolled my eyes so big. As oh said my that. god, hate, <laughs> hater, hype woman and hater. I try to be a good balance of both. That's true. That's true. Matisse Thibel, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, you laughed at the name. You don't like the name? Big Niang theory. <laughs> it's it's funny because whenever I hear Ferk say it. <laughs> Oh, like not clear on what the name is. Big Niang Theory. But Ferk will say it's the Big George's Niang Theory. Which yeah, is like also a... not how you pronounce your name. <laughs> so that's that's why I laugh, because I just hear Ferk's voice. Baba. Baba. Yes, well, thank you, Matisse. That was awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs>